0: I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Of course, Gun Lawyer now has a sponsor. Very proud that the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, ANJRPC.org, is sponsoring our show. Today, I want to talk about reparations for gun owners. You know, you may hear about reparations, and maybe you've heard about reparations. And you hear reparations being tossed about as something we should do to address America's past regarding slavery. And descendants of slaves should be paid reparations for what their ancestors uh, went through. Now, without getting into that whole debate, whether we should or shouldn't do that, it does raise an interesting question about reparations. Now, some people claim, well, the entire Civil War was reparations paid for that debt. But putting aside the question of whether reparations should be paid by slavery, I started looking into the idea of reparations. And is this something that has been done before? in any other context, what is what is the deal with that? And so I found a very interesting article, and it's called Reparations in the United States, and it's from uh, University of Mass, and it is by a uh, Alan J. Davis, and it's a historical timeline of reparations paid from 1783 through 2022 by the United States government, cities, states, religious institutions, universities, corporations, and communities. So it is quite an extensive list, and I never realized before just how much and how many times reparations throughout history have been paid by governments and entities uh, for all kinds of wrongdoing. And it started out uh, here the, in, in this uh, paper by uh, uh, Davis, uh, 1783, Belinda Sutton, who apparently was sold into slavery in Massachusetts, and after 50 years of enslavement, she was made a free woman, and she petitioned Massachusetts to get a pension, and she was actually paid a pension of uh, 15 pounds 12 shillings whatever that meant back then from her enslaver and this is one of the earliest uh i guess records of this in terms of it applying to uh, slavery but then it goes 1863 uh, mobs of white new yorkers terrorized black people by roaming the streets and setting fire to buildings and apparently There was um, deaths that are estimated 100 to 1,000, et cetera. And and all the merchants apparently got together, and they raised uh, over three-quarters of a million dollars in today's dollars to um, pay reparations for what had happened. And, of course, there's 1865, the famous William Sheraton and Secretary Stanton where they met with black leaders and he issued special field order number 15, that black people would receive an army mule and not more than 40 acres in South Carolina and Georgia, right? You maybe heard about that reparation. 1860s, a homestead act 1878. There was, uh, damages and such paid in, in, uh, In kentucky and such and it goes on and then in the 1900s like 1924 there's public lands act where it's reparations to uh uh, native americans and then all through that period from the 20s 30s 40s all through different reparations paid by the government to native americans and even into the 50s that continued And payment as well to uh, uh, peoples in Alaska. And it goes on, all the injustice. And then even in 1970, uh, Richard Nixon um, restored the Blue Lake and surrounding area in New Mexico. And money was paid in 71, about a billion dollars. And 44 million acres of land to the Alaska Native Claims Settlement. I mean, it goes on, and you should see list after list of payments and such. 1988. What do we have? We have President Reagan signing a bill that apologized to 60,000 living Japanese Americans who had been put in internment camps. And Paid uh, $12,000 and apologized to the uh, Alawites, basically, uh, and on and on. I mean, here again, reparations, payments. This goes into um, 2000, where you see state of Florida, for example, approving $2 million for survivors of a racial pogrom, 97. Bill Clinton apologized to the survivors of the Tuskegee, uh, Alabama uh, syphilis tests, right? And then Governor Keaton in Oklahoma uh, at reparations. And it goes on and on. It's really amazing how many times, how many things, all money. And apologizing for individuals' rights who had been uh, trampled in various ways and various means. And you can see in 2019, Senator Booker from New Jersey uh, put forward to study and have a report and look at different proposals for reparations. And he said the bill is a way of addressing head-on the persistence of racism, white supremacy, implicit racial bias in the country. It'll bring together the best minds to study the issue and propose solutions to begin to right the economic scales of past harms. And you see this theme all throughout reparations. And so today I want to talk about the harms, the past harms, and even ongoing harms that are done to gun owners and to our Second Amendment rights. Our constitutional rights have been trampled upon and disrespected, and particularly in New Jersey, where now, thanks to the Bruin case, making it clear just how unconstitutional it is to require justifiable need so that individuals for basically 50 years in New Jersey have essentially been denied their right to defend themselves under the constitutional dimensions that we now recognize officially as being protected. And you may say, well, come on, man. slavery versus this, slavery and these other horrible injustices. Well, I want to ask you something. How much do you value your constitutional right? How much do you value your right to protect your life and to protect those that you love? Isn't there a fundamental right here that the state of New Jersey Has intentionally crushed for over 50 years by having this justifiable need requirement that made it so that basically you had less than 600 carry licenses issued to the elites in our society denying all others this fundamental right to defend themselves How many lives did that cost? How many people who could have defended themselves from violence, from rapes, from murders, etc., were denied that ability because of New Jersey, who took away their rights? And now, with the ability to get licensing, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of individuals currently applying. And that's just now. Think of how many over 50 years... So I say it's time for reparations to gun owners, particularly gun owners in states like New Jersey, where the state has systematically denied their rights, our rights, for 50 years. I want an apology from New Jersey, the way that governments in the past have apologized for previous prior wrongdoings it needs to be stated and not only apologized but financial compensation to any gun owner who wanted to get a carry to protect themselves but didn't because of justifiable need even more money to those who wanted to get it and were victims of violent crime and could not protect themselves because New Jersey stopped them and turned them into victims individuals who applied to get a license and were denied because of the unconstitutional justifiable need requirement there should be a scale and reparations should be paid and apologies made for New Jersey crushing individual rights to defend themselves and not be victims and in fact be able to exercise their constitutional rights you think oh this is a crazy idea well you know what it isn't really that crazy because real people have been hurt and seriously harmed and even killed because of New Jersey's actions it's serious and Nothing is impossible. And as the political tides and things change, keep in mind that reparations need to be made. And look, all these instances and history of reparations, they didn't just occur overnight. It started with individuals demanding them, asking for them, and continuously saying, we deserve this, until finally the right thing gets done. And I say, here is that situation. The right thing can be done. New Jersey needs to apologize to gun owners, and New Jersey needs to pay reparations for the harms that they've done to gun owners and for the harms that they are continuing to do. This has to end, and they need to be held accountable and recognize and admit that this is wrong, and it's been done to good, law-abiding people, causing irreparable harm. And when it comes to carry, this has been done for over 50 years. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about gun violence. Ooh boy, where do you hear about that.
1: For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, A bright orange gun law bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Nappin America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Nappin, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Nappin. Available wherever you get your favorite
0: podcasts. I am a- Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Evan Knappen. And, of course, I'm extremely proud and happy to have a great sponsor of our show, the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, ANJRPC.org. And let me tell you, that is a fantastic group, and it is a group that you must belong to. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. I really never had a sponsor on this show I've never been about that, but this is something I believe in. I believe in with all my heart. The Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs is the group, the organization that is there defending your rights and out there litigating these issues and having full-time paid lobbyists in Trenton fighting for our gun rights and having a great dedicated board of directors and top officers, including our president, Kathy Chatterton, and our executive director, Scott Bach, and all the great folks there that work so hard protecting our Second Amendment rights. And they really do. And by being a member, you get tremendous benefits because you now know you're part of this main body of dedicated individuals that are fighting for our rights. And you will be part of it because you'll be able to get the Email alerts, the action alerts, so that you know what's going on and steps you can easily take to let your voice be heard. You know about things you can do to protect yourself legally, to know what's coming and what you can do so that you don't become a victim of New Jersey gun laws. Tremendous newsletter that is uh, sent out, really top-notch and It's an excellent resource, but most importantly, it's unity of gun owners that can impact directly on legislative actions. And remember, we're in the toughest state with the toughest fight, and it is just great to have an organization like the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs there on our side to fight this battle where the odds are so stacked against us and the incredible work that's being done. And let me say, there's a lot of great gun groups all throughout the country and other groups in New Jersey, and none of this means that you should not participate or belong to any of those other groups. But one thing is certain, you have to belong to the association. That's primary. It's critical. So please, if you're not a member, join the State Association. Go to anjrpc.org. Okay. So, I assume you've heard the term gun violence. It's often bothered me when I hear gun violence being bandied about. And recently, a fantastic, great article... Uh, came in Amoland. Amoland is a news feed of pro-gun articles and news and it's excellent. And one of my favorite writers at Amoland is Dean Weingarten. And anything Dean Weingarten writes, it's it's always just first-rate and I always learn something and I really uh admire his work. But this particular article really caught my attention. And I want to share with you and talk about the concept here because it's really critical. The title of the article is How the Orwellian Term Gun Violence is Used to Push Citizen Disarmament. And it really is an excellent point about this. Dean says the term gun violence has been deliberately inculcated into the public debate over the last 20 years. And it's a common term now in news articles, et cetera. And it's true. I mean, you see it in the lamestream media all the time and even in amicus briefs to the courts and what have you. And he goes on to explain how gun violence is, in his opinion, an Orwellian term. And what he means by that is that it's designed to structure and limit debate to predetermined solutions. It's designed to hamper the ability to think about reality in certain ways. And that's the purpose. And it is Orwellian structured because the term gun violence is a loaded term, no pun intended. It truly is loaded. It truly is Orwellian. Think about this. As Dean points out in the article, Guns themselves, guns can be used for legitimate purposes, right? Defense, hunting, etc. And guns can be used for illegitimate purposes. You know, specifically what? Crime, okay? So guns can be used for both good things and bad things. And the same thing is true for violence. Violence can be legitimately used or illegitimately used. Let me tell you, folks, if somebody is threatening my life or my loved one's lives with a weapon, I can assure you that I will, legally justified to use deadly force, I will do so. And what am I doing? I am using violence to defend myself that's right violence for the good guys is good violence so violence can be used legitimately right you use violence when you hunt and use violence to take and harvest your game you use violence it's a violent act when you use deadly force to defend yourself but it's not illegitimate violence it's legitimate violence then of course there's illegitimate violence and illegitimate violence is criminal essentially so what should the term really be it really should be criminal violence what we need to talk about is not gun violence we need to talk about criminal violence and don't let them take the debate don't let them control the playing field by using that Orwellian term of gun violence. Guns themselves are not good or bad. Violence itself is not good or bad. But criminal violence is bad. And if you want to talk about stopping criminal violence, then I'm with you on that. But the use of the term Gun violence is plainly Orwellian and, posi- and positioning and trying to structure and limit your thought so that you're not addressing crime anymore. You're addressing guns. And guns are not crime. Okay? Crime is different, crime is bad. Guns are neutral. They can be used for good. They can be used for bad. But crime is plainly bad. This is how you have to break free of this mind control, this media manipulation. This is done intentionally. Believe me, the anti-gun think tanks put this together, purposely using this terminology. And then they twist it on the other side. And the other side of that is the gun laws, oh, they're gun safety laws. Yeah, right. Gun safety laws. And to what extent is there the safest gun law? Well, the safest gun safety law is a gun ban. Because now we're banning guns, and that's gun safety law, you see? So you can't fall into their trap. Don't use the term gun violence. Use the term criminal violence. If somebody uses the term gun violence... Call them out on it. Tell them that's an Orwellian term. That's a loaded term. That's a propaganda term. Want to talk about criminal violence? We can talk about that. But not gun violence. Now, I did get an interesting letter uh, from Ask Evan, and this is from James. James says, Hi, Mr. Knappen. My Bergen County application was dropped off At Superior Court, September, I'm starting to believe the court is purposely allowing the clock to run out, not signing any applications in hope of the new Murphy gun bill. Then they will reject my current application, even though it presently complies with the issuance of the permit requirements at the present time. Should they allow the clock to run out purposely to make me go through this whole process again? Do I have any recourse? It seems politically driven the length of time that these applications just sit. And let me tell you something. I think there's a lot of uh, truth in what in what uh, is being said here by James. And that's because the court is overwhelmed with applications. This new law is uh, Monday, apparently. It's going to be heard in committee in the Senate. It's already passed the House, and even though we're fighting it the best we can, and I'm sure there will be litigation very quickly if it does get signed, I think the odds of it becoming law are very strong because the politics are so solidly against us because of the anti-rights folks having the control. And you know New Jersey doesn't want to accept the situation where law-abiding citizens can be defenders instead of victims. I mean, they've blatantly gone out. You know, we talked about commentary. They said, no, this bill isn't about crime. It is about that. It's about controlling citizens. You, i having guns. Even though you're legal, licensed, trained, all that, they admit that's what it's about, crushing our rights. They have no shame. And so I think... We're going to see this in some version and pretty similar to what's already out there. It's going to pass. And one of the things it does right away is it removes judges from the process, right? It imposes other requirements right away. they got to have more references. I think it's four references. You're going to have to have insurance that apparently isn't even available to be had. You're going to have to have other training requirements have to be met. Even those that had licenses already are going to have to retroactively comply. So sure, your application's pending and this law passes. Judges are out of the game, and therefore it's going back. And since you don't meet the current requirements of the new law now, I think you're going to see a situation where exactly what James is concerned about is going to happen. Many, many applications are going to be sent back and the process is going to have to start again and it's going to be a mess and it's going to require now the set of $50. It's going to be $200 for the application and the whole slew of new requirements are all going to be in place and the courts can no longer have to be burdened with these applications that they themselves could have not handled over 50 years ago when the court even questioned why they were being licensed authorities but decided to do it so they could define justifiable need as a way to stop us from getting carry licenses. Look at the court history and you see that. And so now that game's over, and uh, they don't want any part of it. And I think uh, we're going to see... When this law passes, because remember, things that are going to take effect very quickly on it, the judge's provision takes effect immediately on passage. That's the amended bill. No more judges. Then it's all going back. And uh, it's going to cause a lot of grief and a lot of problems. But I think this is fair speculation here. So prepare yourselves if you actually have applications pending this to be a very strong possibility. Okay. I want to thank again our sponsor ANGRPC.org It's the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. And boy, do we see that